Hi everybody, it's Michael. If you're heading out to a burn supper this year, then you probably shouldn't be. There's a deadly virus kicking around, so maybe have a wee one at home. Either with your friends, or your family, your flatmate, your cat, or your dog, I guess. Or you could have one on your own. I personally prefer drinking copious amounts of whiskey on my own. We figured that since this year is different, we'd put together our very own wee burnt supper for you to use as you see fit. We've left out the toast to the lasses and the laddies, because it's a bit of a weird vibe, to be honest. If you really want one, then you can maybe go back to our third episode, called Third Degree Burns, to get some perspective on our national bard's attitude to women. Enjoy! First up at any burn supper, after all the piping and the imbibing has begun in earnest, the haggis is brought out, and it is, as tradition dictates, addressed. Fair for your honest sonsy face, great chieftain of the puddin' race, abun them all ye tat your place, pinch, triper firm. Wheel are ye wordy o' a grace as lang's my arm. The groaning trencher there ye fill, Your hurdy's like a distant hill, Your pin would help to mend a mill in time on eat, While throw your pores the juice distill, Like amber bead. His knife see rustic labour dight, And cut ye up where any slight, Trenching your gushing entrails bright like ony ditch. And then, Oh, what a glorious sight, warm, reeking, rich. Then, horn for horn, they stretch and strive, deal tack the hindmost, on they drive, till other wheel swelled kites belive are bent like drums. The old gidman mayst like to rive, bethank it hums. Is there the hour as French ragout, or oleo that would staw a sow? Her fricassee would make her spew with perfect scunner, looks down with sneering scornful view on sick a dinner. Poor devil, see him out as trash, as feckless as a withered rash, his spindle shank a gid whiplash, his neva knit, throw bloody flood or field to dash, oh how unfit. But mark the rustic haggis fed, the trembling earth resounds his tread. Clap in his wally neva blade, he'll make it whistle, and legs and arms and heads will sned like taps of thristle. Ye powers wha mak mankind your care, and dish them out their billow fare, old Scotland wants nae skinking ware that joups and luggies. But if ye wish her grape for prayer, gear a haggis. At pretty much every burn supper, someone will give a speech called an immortal memory that goes through the events of Burns' life, glossing over the things that we don't like, covering off the things that we do. But because this is Scotland, we're not going to do it that way. It is the 21st of July, 1801. In the little house where the bard was born, Nine of his friends and admirers gather for a meal in memory of their friend, taken from them in 1796, at the age of just 37. The cottage in Alloway was warm, 
radiating with the low-hanging sun of a summer's evening, quite unlike the night the poet was born. They told of a horrible storm that blew that night, threatening the very thatch which nestles above your heads. One of your number seems to be an expert on roofing and reckons that the roof's probably been rethatched three or four times since then. He receives a good-natured clip round the ear because nobody, and I mean nobody, likes a smart aleck. The mood's a little sombre, remembering the loss of their comrade, their brother. A few make some remarks about doing it again next year. Probably switching it to his birthday might be a better idea, though. After all, Rab didn't really go in for melancholy. Even his melancholy poems and songs were tinged with a lightness, a humour. Even when his health was failing and a lot of his friends from the upper echelons of society had given up on him, he still had that wee sparkle in his writing. Even when he was speaking positively about revolution in America and France, when he was espousing his belief that every man should be allowed to vote, there was mischief there. It wasn't all doom and gloom. All Burns could turn a room on his vim and his vigour. You suppose that's part of the tragedy of being taken so young. He put so much of his time in his later years into working for the excise, riding up and down from Dubfries on horseback, supervising the work of customsmen up and down the coast. He had four young kids, this demanding job, and he was still writing poetry and song. He was collecting them too, bringing together the most incredible troops of traditional Scottish song. To say it had become an obsession was probably an overstatement, but at least it kept his mind from his previous dalliances. There are a few snorts in the room. Previous dalliances is a hell of a polite way of saying cheating on Jean with anyone that looked at him twice. Rab had always struggled with his mental health, described by the medical profession of the time as hypochondria, but he was depressed, suffered from anxiety, and was known to spiral when elements of his life got out of control. For someone who had lived such a turbulent life, can't have helped. But it wasn't that that killed him. In fact, nobody's entirely sure what it was since he suffered from a great many ailments towards the end of his life. But when his wee four-year-old daughter died in the winter of 1795, he caught rheumatic fever. He recovered and deteriorated in peaks and troughs. Eventually, someone suggested that he should go and immerse himself in the Solway Firth as a potential cure. Needless to say, that didn't work, although it probably killed him faster. Maybe that was a small mercy. So yeah, you all agree, much better to celebrate the fun-loving Burns with a glass of port in his hand and a song on his lips than the emaciated husk, whose name couldn't conjure enough book sales to support his family after he was gone. The next Burns Supper, as you'd call it, would be in the calendar for 29th of January 1802. And then, in 1803, when they discovered in the parish records that his actual birthday was the 25th of January, it was in the calendar for the 25th. If you're not Scottish, then you probably haven't experienced the the joy, the shame, 
the unbridled nerves of having to recite Burns from memory on stage. Jamie Mowat does. She won the Burns Cup in school for reading to a mouse. We sleek at Cowan Timorous Beastie, oh what a panics in thy breastie. No need no start a wa so hasty, wi bicker and brattle. I wad be laith to run and chase thee, wi murdering paddle. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union, and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle. At me thy poor, earthborn companion, and fellow mortal. I doubt na wiles, but thou may thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou mun live. A daemon icker in a thrave, so sma request. I'll get a blessing with a lave, I never missed. Thy wee bit housey, too in ruin, it's silly while the winds are strewn, and naething thou to big a new ain o' foggage green, and bleak December's winds and soon, it's snell a keen. Thou saw the fields laid bare and waste, and weary winter coming fast, and cosy here beneath the blast, thou thought to dwell, till crash the cruel culture past, out throw thyself. That wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble has cost thee money a weary nibble. Now thou's turned out for a thy trouble, but house are hauled. To thaw the winter's sleety dribble and cranrich cold. But mousy thou art no thy lane, in proving foresight may be vain. The bestly schemes o' mice and men gang after glee. And layest naught but grief and pain for promised joy. Still thou art blessed compared with me, the present only toucheth thee. But och, I backward cast my eye on prospects drear, and forward though I canna see, I guess and fear. Composer and all-round man of music Mitch Bain takes up the mantle and reads John Barleycorn. There was three kings into the east, three kings both great and high, and they had sworn a solemn oath John Barleycorn should die. They took a plough and ploughed him down, put clods upon his heed. And they had sworn a solemn oath, John Barleycorn was deed. But the cheerful spring came kindly on, and showers began to fall. John Barleycorn got up again, and Sir surprised them all. The sultry suns of summer came, and he grew thick and strong, his heed well armed with pointed spears, that no one should him wrong. The sober autumn entered mild, when he grew wan and pale, his bending joints and drooping heed, should he began to fail. His colour sickened more and more, he faded into age, and then his enemies began to show their deadly rage. They'd teen a weapon, long and sharp, and cut him by the knee, then tied him fast upon a cart like rogue for forgery. They laid him down upon his back and cudgelled him full sair, and hung him up before the storm and turned him hour and hour. They filled up a darksome pit with water to the brim. They heaved in John Barleycorn, there let him sink or swim. They laid him out upon the floor to work him further woe, and still, as signs of life appeared, they tossed him to and fro. They wasted our a scorching flame in the marrow of his bones, but a miller used him worst of all, for he'd crushed him between two stones. And they had taken his very heart's blood, and drank it round and round. And still the more and more they drank, the joy did more abound. John Barleycorn was a hero bold, of noble enterprise. For if you do but taste his blood, t'will make your courage rise. T'will make a man forget his woe, t'will heighten all his joy. T'will make the widow's heart to sing, though the tear were in her eye. Then let us toast John Barleycorn, each man a glass in hand, and may his great posterity ne'er fail in old Scotland. And finally, here's the tale of Holy Willie. He was a rather oldish bachelor elder in the parish of Mochlin, a 
and much and justly famed for that polemic chattering, which ends in tippling orthodoxy, and for that spiritualised bawdry which refines to liquorish devotion. In a sessional process with a gentleman in Mauchlin, a Mr Gavin Hamilton, Holy Willie and his priest Father Ald, after full hearing in the presbytery of Ayr, came off but second best, owing partly to the oratorical powers of Mr Robert Aiken, Mr Hamilton's counsel, but chiefly to Mr Hamilton's being one of the most irreproachable and truly respectable characters in the county. On losing the process, the muse overheard him at his devotions as follows. O thou, who in the heavens does dwell, who, as it pleases best thyself, sends aim to heaven and tend to hell, offer thy glory, and know for ony good or ill they've done afore thee. I bless and praise thy matchless might, when thousands thou hast left in night, that I am here afore thy sight, for gifts and grace, a burning and a shining light to a this place. What was I, or my generation, that I should get sick exultation? I, what deserve most just damnation for broken laws, five thousand years ere my creation through Adam's cause. When, frae my mother's womb I fell, thou might hae plunged me deep in hell to gnash my gums to weep and wail in burning lakes, where damned devils roar and yell, chained to their stakes. Yet I am here. A chosen sample, to show thy grace is great and ample, I'm here a pillar of thy temple, strong as a rock, a guide, a buckler and example to all thy flock. O Lord, thou kens what zeal I bear, when drinkers drink and swear or swear, and singing there and dancing here, with great and small, for I am keep it by thy fear, free from them all. But yet, O oh Lord, I confess I must at times I'm fash with fleshly lust, and sometimes too in worldly trust vile self gets in. But thou remembers we are dust defiled with sin. O oh Lord, ye stream thou kens, we meg, thy pardon I sincerely beg, O oh, mate, ne'er be a living plague to my dishonour, and I'll ne'er lift a lawless leg again upon her. Besides a further mon allow with Lizzie's last three times I trow, but Lord, that Friday I was foo when I come near her, or else thou kens thy servant true would never steer her. Maybe thou lets the fleshly thorn buffet thy servant e'en and mon, lest he o'er proud and high should turn, that he's so gifted. If, say thy hand, mon e'en be born, till thou lift it. Lord, Bless thy chosen in this place, for here thou hast a chosen race, but God confound their stubborn face and blast their name, what bring thy elders to disgrace and public shame. Lord, mine gone Hamilton deserts, he drinks and swears and plays at kerts, yet has same money taken arts with great and small, for God's ain priest the people's hearts he steals awa. And when we chastened him, therefore thou kens he bred sick a splore, and set the world in a roar, or laughing at us. Curse thou his basket and his store, kale and potatoes. Lord, hear my earnest cry and prayer against that presbyterio air, thy strong right hand, Lord, make it bear upon their heads. Lord, visit them and dinna spare for their misdeeds. 
Oh Lord, my God, that glib-tongued aching, my very heart and flesh are quaking, to think how we stood sweating, shaking and pissed with dread, while he, he were hanging lip and snaking held up his head. Lord, in thy day of vengeance try him, Lord, visit them who I did employ him, and pass not in thy mercy by him, nor hear their prayer, but for thy people's sake destroy him in dinner spare. But Lord, remember me in mine, with mercies temporal and divine, that I for grace and gear may shine, excelled by name, and a the glories shall be thine. Amen. Amen. The end of a burnt supper usually comes with a rousing, often drunken rendition of Auld Lang Syne, a traditional song adapted by Burns, which is, let's face it, one of the most famous songs on earth, so you don't really need me to tell you about it. There are a lot of versions of the song kicking about the internet, but to me there's only one that really captures what 2020 has meant to all of us, done to all of us, call it what you will. It's sung by a community of singers from Birmingham, Alabama, in a church whose elders used to refuse to seat black people. This version is from a beautiful art film by 1504 called For the Sake of Old Times. We should never forget the past, even though we look forward to the future and hope that every day we move forward things just become a little bit brighter. And at a time when it seems more difficult than ever to hope for a better tomorrow, it's a powerful message. Remember other people. Look after one another. Wear a mask. Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and days of old
You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. The version of Auld Lang Syne used was from For the Sake of Old Times, an art film by 1504. Additional voices in this episode were by Jamie Mowat and Mitch Bain. The music for every episode of Scotland is by the Human Kilmarnock edition Mitch Bain. You can check out more of his work at mitchbain.bequiet.media. Jamie Mowat does stunning illustrations for us, which you can see in our episode art. See more and buy prints at tidlin, that's T-I-D-L-I-N dot com. Scotland is supported by Chris Lingwood, Scott McCubbin, and listeners like you on Patreon. You can get loads more from us for as little as $2 at patreon.com forward slash Scotland History Podcast. You can find out more about the show and read transcripts on our website, scotlandpodcast.net. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Look after one another. Wear your mask. We'll see you next time.